Welcome to the intersection of faith and curiosity, a podcast from All Saints Episcopal Church in Richland, Washington. Here we explore a variety of topics and issues, questioning, listening, and learning together. Come join the conversation. My name is Liz Carter. I'm a congregational member of the church been there for about 25 years. And we will be talking with Shana Hawks, who is a curate at All Saints, and Greg Muckenhaupt, who can tell you his backstory. So Shana, let's start with you. If you just give a brief autobiographical sketch of who you are and how you came to All Saints. Sure. I am a native of Eastern Washington. Likewise, I've been an Episcopalian my whole life. I majored in history and double minored in Latin and Greek during undergrad. After four or five years, I started discerning a call towards ordained ministry. I graduated from seminary in Berkeley, California in 2019, and I was ordained a priest in June of that year, which is when I started at All Saints as the curate. A curate is a term for a priest who is new to the ministry who gets to work alongside someone who is more experienced. So I am ordained, I can do everything a priest can do, and I have someone on site to share responsibilities with and ask questions of. Oh, very good. And how about you, Greg? Well, um, believe it or not, I also uh, worked as an ordained minister, a uh, priest in the Catholic Church for a uh, number of years, most of my life. Actually, I, I'm from New York, by the way, not the city, just north of it, so that's redeemable. Uh, most of my um, ordained life and adult life was spent overseas working in uh, different cultures in Africa and Oceania. Um, while stationed overseas, I did the typical, uh, had the typical ministerial duties. And I also taught in a number of ministry training programs and diaconate programs. And for a while, I was a high school administrator. Then I came back to this country about what is this, seven years ago now. And I ended up uh, discerning the Lord's call, pulling me out of uh, ministry in the Catholic Church to ministry to Pasco High School, where I'm now teaching science. And since then, I've also um, married a wonderful woman. I'll say a young woman because... She is young at heart very, very much, Shalvina, my wife. And both of us are teaching in Pasco School District. And we ended up at the All Saints Episcopal Church because uh, we were looking for a seamless transition in our uh, different religious um, commitments. And we just happened to walk into the church one day and heard some fantastic preaching and fell in love with it right away. Well, it must have been Jane, right? <laughs> very good. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Well, thank you both for agreeing to discuss our topic of today, which is dealing with doubt. So we will just dive right in. Greg, why is this topic important to you? Well, uh, it's important to me because there have been a number of changes in my career, um, a number of changes in, in my life, looking at my life from different perspectives and uh, moving into ordained ministry, working as an ordained minister, then exploring how that ministry could be exercised um, in other ways, um, 
under uh, different conditions. Uh, it's caused me to question a lot of things that I held uh, near and dear earlier in my life. And I think through the questioning, I've hopefully grown a bit in understanding of myself, understanding of, of God and understanding of uh, what relationships mean and the place of doubts, even within a relationship. Well, that covers it very well. Thank you. Shana, how about you? In my own life of faith, I have experienced doubt. And I have experienced doubts in a way that still end up helping me grow by wrestling with those doubts. I also believe that doubt is a natural response to the kind of society we live in where not everyone believes the same thing. And to look from an outside perspective or to look to someone else's faith when it differs from our own lends itself to asking questions and perhaps having doubts. And I think that what's important is to have how we address those doubts, what we do once we've experienced them. So you're comfortable with the idea that faith and doubt can coexist? Yeah. I recall hearing about a philosopher whose name I unfortunately can't remember right now, who has said that in the time, the postmodern kind of questioning truth being uncertain time that we live in now, doubt and faith sort of go hand in hand. That every, something like every faithful person has doubts, every doubter has belief. Mm. And I think there is a lot of truth to that. Oh, I like that. That's a powerful statement. I think, yeah. Uh, Greg, what's your reaction to that? Well, um, I agree. I also think that faith and doubt can coexist. And like Shanna said, they usually do, uh, especially if we understand faith not as an institutional set of practices or a list of beliefs and doctrines, but faith as something that's much deeper. Faith at its roots is a personal relationship with God and others. Can you have faith? Can you have a dynamic personal relationship which encompasses attitudes, actions, hopes, dreams, joys, and still have doubts? I would say yes. I think that very accurately describes most, most marriages and friendships. And I think God's okay with that also. I think God many times looks down at us saying, you don't need to have it all wrapped up yet. <laughs> God, like each individual, still has his, his or her mysterious elements. So each of you has said that you've had times of doubt of, and questioning and working through things. Were you doubting God and his, the existence of God, or were you doubting some sort of set of structures or statements of belief? Shana, how about, we'll start with you. I would love to say it was never about doubting God and God's own self. And I'm not sure that's 100% true to say that I have had those doubts either. I think what I've had are moments in my life where I have willingly turned my back or turned my attention away from God and felt pretty okay for a while. And so then part of turning back to God is wondering 
why I was okay. If God is everything that I believe God to be, why was I okay without? Likewise, diving deep into scripture in the Episcopal tradition in particular, where we're willing to look at differences between fact and truth and address what appear to be contradictions in the Bible, not by reconciling them and turning them into one set of, of facts that mesh together, but seeing what it means if they don't agree with one another. And then diving deep into scripture in seminary, I've also had doubts and questions about some of the things that are present in the Bible. How can a God of love tell the Israelites to come out of exile in Egypt and turn around and kill everyone they run into just to claim their land, for example? Yeah. And that's one of those that probably is not resolved for you. For most of us, I would think. No, the closest I have come is saying that scripture is the closest to unmediated experience of God that we can all share, but it isn't purely unmediated because it comes through human hands and human understanding. And so maybe those moments that feel out of step or out of character about God are less about who God is and what God is and more about how people have understood God. But I can theorize that all I want and I can't prove it. And it, it comes back to faith. Faith in God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, I've always figured God is big enough to deal with anything that I throw at him. It's not, I don't have to worry about God turning his back on me because of something I have thought or said or felt expressed to God. Yeah. Um, so I have a question, Greg, for you. I've heard the statement that the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty. What's your reaction to that? I would agree with that, again, because I think certitude has an element of um, control to it. And if one is looking for certitude, they're, they're looking for security. But if you're looking to enter into a relationship, um, I don't think certitude should be on the front burner. I think mystery and discovery and commitment and trust should be on the front burner. So I would say that the two, if I, that's obviously a human analogy, the um, same is true in our relationship to God. If I'm looking for a relationship with the Lord, um, I probably shouldn't be looking for all the answers. And we know in the Bible what happens when people put certitude before uh, trust. I mean, it begins with Job and goes all the way through to Thomas. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Um, so I have heard faithful church members express doubts in some of the teachings, the fundamental teachings of Christianity, like the Immaculate Conception of Jesus, like the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, um, his healing miracles, his feeding miracles, and etc. Do you think those doubts 
contradict those people's claim to be Christian, Shana? No, like, I, I think they could if one's doubts about those moments in scripture, as you've listed, close the relationship with God. But I think that goes beyond the doubt itself. By the same token, I think that to, to doubt and to question some of those concepts doesn't have to mean denying God. Those doubts can be about not understanding fully who God is and how those things can be possible. And yet I don't, I don't believe that that denies God or closes down the opportunity to have relationship with God. And I just keep thinking that Augustine is supposed to have said, if you think you understand, it's not God. We can't know God fully. We're going to have doubts and questions and wrestlings along the way because our human condition forces them upon us. We've, we're out of step with God somehow. That's sin or what sin does. And so we do the best we can as finite, sinful human creatures with doubts. Yeah. Kind and of still with God. Kind of along the same lines, I heard a priest say years ago, be careful of a God with whom you are comfortable. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Gray, do you think, because if we look at faith as a relationship and people have these doubts, do you think doubts can create a barrier between the person and God in their faith? Well, again, I, I would hope not. Um, it's interesting that the word barrier is used in, in this question. Um, you have to remember that at one time, most of these doctrinal, doctrinal statements um, and creeds were actually hymns used during worship along with other forms of worship. And in the pre-rational, pre-enlightenment mind, these were experienced as vehicles to encounter the divine beyond the rational dimension. Of course, with postmodern rationality, we look at these creedal statements with scientific analysis and that's exactly what we shouldn't be doing. Um, some practices and beliefs that were once vehicles of a mystical encounter 1500 years ago have become barriers in our more rational modern times. Uh, that said, I would hope that God wants us to continue to search beyond these barriers. Um, I think if we look at all religions and Christianity as well, there's no one Christianity. There's a number of Christianities with a variety of expressions across cultures in all times. Um, I think what's important is that those who are committed to a relationship with the Lord um, find an expression that helps them encounter and deepen that relationship. Though all religions grow and change, and so do people. Um, and many times that change comes through a searching that leads to a deeper sense of God, self, and community. But we shouldn't be afraid of that searching, worrying that, will this, will this um, uh, create a barrier between 
God and me. And in reference St. Paul, St. Paul keeps saying, and I've said this before, the law of Christ is written in our hearts and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Okay, and, and I, think, I think he meant that seriously. Uh, so I don't see how doubts can really uh, create, necessarily create a barrier there. Okay. So kind of along the same thought, um, I have friends in faith communities who have doubts. And when, it, when they've had the opportunity to express those doubts within their faith community, um, some have been explicitly told that doubts are wrong and that they, are, they indicate a lack of faith. If you have doubts, you don't have enough faith and you need to somehow work on your faith and the doubts will go away. What would you say to someone from that kind of a background who came to you feeling like they were ashamed or feeling like they had been abused by their faith community through those kinds of statements? Greg, take on you again. Oh. Um, well, first of all, I think it's important to remember that spiritual abuse is something that's real. And I can imagine being told by representatives of a community or group that you belong to that one is somehow deficient in faith. It can be quite um, harmful, um, quite striking, especially if someone has been brought up in the culture of that community, which is what religion is. Um, it's easy to see how one's entire world can be thrown up in the air. It can be in a very real sense, a, a cultural upheaval on a personal level. So I would say, first of all, in encountering a person like this, tremendous compassionate listening and patience is, is very much needed on the pastoral level. Uh, secondly, I would try to invite the person to search his or her own heart, again, to discover the wellspring of faith and love that does exist there. I mean, we just have to take that as a precondition to any you know, pastoral approach or ministry. Uh, I won't quote St. Paul again on this, but you can imagine what I'm thinking here. Um, I would encourage a person that the light of God's love does exist inside of them. And it might take time, reflection, and meditation for this person to discover what it is that really fills them with joy. You know, how does God reflect uh, his presence in their heart? You know, what inspires them to greater faith, hope, and love for God and others? Kind of planting in themselves their own confident love of God and God and confidence in God's love for them, rather than hinging on a community which doesn't seem to be supporting that that grace-filled mystery. Um, and then really to see, help them to see these experiences of themselves as um, faces of God's relationship with them, and that's going to be the foundation of. Um, of any community that a person joins. And of the healing that hopefully they will begin to experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Shane, I'm gonna change the question a little bit for you because I know you work a lot with the youth program, um, both with All Saints and across the diocese. And of course, youth today are exposed to many more things that I even knew existed when I was a kid. 
Um, and to differing extents, they're encouraged to explore, to wonder. Some of them, you know, do a little bit of church shopping, if you will, testing things out. What if a, a youth, say 16, 17 years old, came to you and said, I'm just so confused about all this. I've got a lot of doubts. I don't understand it at all. How do I move forward with any of this? How would you work with that person? Just like the situation you described for Greg, even here, I think that compassionate listening would be key. I would, I would hope to, in a non-shocking way, if possible, affirm that young person's questions and doubts. And I would be willing to explain that to me, a, a faith or belief that feels sure has no room to grow. God calls us into deeper and deeper relationship. And we get that growth that allows us to go deeper. I believe when we question and when we doubt and when we pursue those questions and doubts and still find God at the answer to those questions or in perhaps settling into a state of not knowing, I find that far more faithful. And I would, I imagine, remind that young person that they should have a lifetime to keep looking for answers, to keep wondering, because God loves each and every one of us and won't give up. It's okay to not have it right at 17. I don't think in retrospect, I know anyone who is over the age of 18, perhaps even that young, who would say that they had it all together at 17. So it is good and okay to have questions and wonder and doubt. And my hope and my invitation would be to stay in that questioning as long as possible to know that there is a community of believers who would love to walk alongside someone in their doubts and in their questions and just keep on loving that young person. Okay, thank you. So um, I don't care who goes first, but do you think deep doubts are ever reconciled and is it, is it important to you to try and reconcile doubt? Greg? Yes, it is important for me to reconcile doubt, but hopefully I'm outgrowing that tendency. Um, <laughs> I would oh. say, uh, certainly uh, faith life is a journey of, of discovery, discovery of self, others, and the Lord. If, if one remains committed to this search, I think uh, some doubts are reconciled. Uh, certainly not always with certitude, but again, on the level of relationship. And I can use the example of Job here. I think for one reason, most people are familiar with Job. Job was wrestling with whether God was fair and just. And after chapter upon chapter upon chapter, I had a whole <laughs> one semester course on Job, filled every second. In the end, there were no clear explanations from God but Job received something more than he was asking for. He had experienced God. He had experienced relationship. And that's something that goes far, far beyond a rational explanation or um, certitude. 
Um, and somehow for Job, that was enough. I think this kind of questioning and searching must continue for all of us. Sometimes through the questioning, we are brought to a higher viewpoint, a better understanding of things, beliefs, doctrines, and yourself. And sometimes you're invited to trust more and just let go of the need for that certitude and control. Truly grow in trust as we grow in love, that deeper and deeper relationship Shana was talking about. I believe that's what faith life and life in general is a process of, a process of letting go and growing in trust as we grow in love. Shana, how about you? Do you think deep doubts are reconciled and is that important to you? I'm so glad that Greg gave the example of Job. <laughs> I love the story of Job too, in part because when God comes to answer Job's cries, God doesn't give Job pat answers. God says, I'm God. Look at all the things I have created and put in motion. I can't even list them all, but he lists the monsters in the deep of the ocean. I love that image. <laughs> and just sort of says, I'm God and you're not. <laughs> deal with it and job just has to live with it and i don't i don't believe that job could walk out of that situation and say i don't have any doubts anymore i think the the answer must be something more along the lines of god is bigger than my doubts god exists even in my doubt and if we can hold on to that that god exists even when we doubt that is far more important than reconciling every doubt i may when I or we might hold. One of the gifts of our own Episcopal tradition is living in a sense of mystery where we don't have all the answers. And I love that because it leaves room for doubt. It leaves room for multiple interpretations on so many things. And that can be a hard truth to live with, but it still appeals to me more than having total certitude. I love that statement, God is bigger than my doubts. And I, I have written that down. I will probably be using that to myself now and again. God is bigger than this. And as Greg said, it's a process of learning to let go and be okay with that. And that, that's a great summary statement. So thank you for that. So Shana, is there any, any other thoughts that you want to share of it? that this discussion has prompted in you? The, there are two more things that come to mind. One is that I hope that anyone who is really wrestling with doubts that leave them struggling to believe, to know that you are not alone. I can think of a couple of sort of great figures in Christian faith who have written about their own long experiences of feeling only God's absence. St. John of the Cross wrote about the dark night of the soul. Mother Teresa wrote and spoke about just going about her work for long periods of time, trusting as best she could that even though she couldn't see or find God, she was still doing what she should and sometime God would appear again. I imagine both of those situations had to be accompanied by enormous doubts. And I would hope that that example of continuing on and eventually meeting God on the other side might be the same thing that someone with doubts would experience. 
The other thought I have is of my homiletics instructor, instructor in seminary who talked about our faith. I think you could even say this about our creedal statements as being like a brick wall in some sense. They're made up of many little things. And at any time he invited us to imagine pulling out a brick and looking at it, really checking it out, perhaps changing it a little bit and then putting it back. And that wouldn't do much harm. The goal is to not question and struggle with so many things at once that the wall collapses. Hmm. And even in that metaphor, as imperfect as it might be, what I think I love the most is that I imagine that if the wall of faith or belief collapses, God doesn't stop. God is beneath the wall. God will come out of the rubble, no matter how strong our doubts are. Thank you. That's a great image. That's a great image. Greg, are there any other thoughts that, that uh, you would like to share? Um, it's really just one, and it's probably not too pastoral, um, but I, I reflected back on my life, how I was in theology, how I was in my early ministry. Um, as I've grown older, 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 I guess I have more of an experience for uh, the mystery in life rather than its uh, certainties. And I guess part of this comes from my experience in other non-Western cultures. I think a lot of the talk about doubts comes from our, in the Western culture, our application of reason and rationality to things that are not of the rational dimension, <laughs> like scripture, for example. And in other cultures, there's a much greater um, appreciation for a more tacit dimension, a dimension of the mysterious in life. And therefore their appreciation of bringing more dimensions of themselves to worship and to their faith life and to religion, where ritual is more important um, rather than, than reasoning and talking something through. I can use as an example, certainly in the Roman Catholic church, perhaps in the Episcopal church, when someone goes to confession, it becomes a um, very reasonable discussion of um, pastoral healing and um, uh, pastoral care and, and counseling. And that addresses the mind, a little bit of the heart, but mostly the mind, I think. But in the Eastern Orthodox religions, when someone goes to confession, uh, the, there's not so much counseling that goes on, but the priest takes this huge stole and just wraps it in a, an embrace around the shoulders of the person. It's that act that brings the healing and gets the person in touch with their deepest selves. So it's, it's not rational, and yet it touches a deeper dimension of ourselves. And I think a lot of the things we hear about doubts these days is because we're stuck in the rational and not looking, we've lost that appreciation of the mysterious and other dimensions of ourselves that really are dimensions we need if we're going to um, and begin to talk about things like love <laughs> and relationship. So that's the only thought I have. For what it's worth. <laughs> There's that one phrase in, in one of our communion prayers about these holy mysteries. And I love that phrase. 
it kind of addresses what both of you said. It's, they are mysteries. They are a holy part of life. Um, they are God's gift to us, perhaps also God's challenge to us. All right. Well, thank you. Um, and listeners, if you have any other questions about dealing with doubt, uh, please feel free to send those into podcast at allsaintsrichland.org, and we will do our best to address them and have further conversation. So thank you, Shana and Greg. I appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully we will continue on our faithful journeys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at the intersection of faith and curiosity. The theme music we use was provided by John Spencer, and our cover art was designed by Teresa Great. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes, email us at podcast at allsaintsrichland.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you.